0: Everybody, just give me a wave if you can hear me. That's fantastic. Um, good morning, and uh, welcome if you're watching live on Zoom. Uh, welcome if you're watching us on social media or other Facebook streams. Uh, it's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Ken, uh, and it's my real pleasure this morning to be continuing our Knowing God Through His Names series. And this morning, we're looking at Jehovah Shalom where shalom is a word that actually means peace. It's a Hebrew word. Uh, Truth be told, it actually means a whole lot more than just peace. It means such things as wholeness, uh, completeness, wellness. So it's a really rich word that that we're going to unpack this morning. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, which is probably one of the Deepest and richest theological books in all of all of Scripture. He ends that book with this simple simple prayer. He says, "May the God of peace be with you all." Uh, it just seems that Paul, after he's had this great discourse about uh, law and grace uh, and election and salvation, that the thing that he wants to leave his people with is this idea that God is a God of peace. It's the one idea he wants to, to stress. And uh, it doesn't actually matter where we look in Scripture. If we just focus on even just Paul, it's such a prevalent idea that God is a God of peace. It seems whoever he's writing to, whatever church, whatever letter he's writing, this idea of peace comes out. He says such things as God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. That's in 1 Corinthians. He says, may the God of love and peace be with you all. That's uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, The God of peace will be with you. Uh, Philippians, may the Lord of peace grant you peace. Uh, That's 2 Thessalonians. And, of course, Jesus himself, uh, in talking to the disciples, says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. So if we're really going to understand what it means, To know God as a God of peace, then we need to understand what this word peace means. Before we launch into that, though, I'm just going to pray briefly. Lord, I do indeed pray for your peace to be with us and for your spirit to come on us now and help us to see more of you through these passages. Speak to us and encourage us, lift us up, show us something more of who you are for your glory amen and what i want to do this morning is i want to look at a number of things that peace is and uh, they're right in and of themselves but in many ways we can go a lot deeper see the first thing we can think of peace as being is an absence of war i'm, I'm very aware that uh, just last week we were celebrating the 75th anniversary of VE Day. 75 years ago, peace came to Europe. Uh, the war ended. It's a very clear idea of peace and war. Uh, and in Scripture, in, in Judges, in the Old Testament, we read this story of Gideon, who was charged by God to rescue his people from the oppression of the Midianites. And a very interesting thing happens in Judges chapter 6. Uh, we read there in verse 24, as Gideon is commissioned to uh, go to war against Midian, uh, we read there, then Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. In many ways, it's a strange thing to do. I think if I'd been Gideon and charged with that way, I would have built an altar and called it, uh, the Lord is my protector, the Lord is my banner. Uh, last week, Kaz was sharing about Jehovah Shaboa. The Lord of hosts, there's kind of a military idea there. I would have probably called my altar that, not uh, uh, Lord is peace. It's a very prophetic act that Gideon does because throughout of the rest of chapter and six, uh, all of chapter seven, most of chapter eight, war is what we read of. Peace is actually not present. It's only right at the end of chapter eight till finally we get to the point where the lad is at peace and knows rest. But whatever Gideon calls his altar, there's a very clear parallel there between war and peace. Or or think of Solomon. Again, in in the Old Testament, when all of his riches and all of his wealth are described uh, in 1 Kings, it says also there, he had peace on all sides around him. So again, we have this, this picture of peace, as being an absence of war. But fortunately, we don't all go to war. The whole point of those celebrations last week was that for 75 years, this this country hasn't actually known a war that directly impacts the civilian population. A generation, generations have grown up that are not familiar with war in that sense. That's, That's the richness. Of those celebrations, that there might just be a few of you uh, that are watching this this morning that as, as very young children remember that very first be day, but it is very rapidly uh, slipping into history, something that's moving out of the living memory of people that would actually have been part of that. So maybe we need to to think about peace as being something else, something that we who are fortunate enough to have not known war. Would more easily identify with. Because the second thing is that peace can also be seen as an absence of worry. We saw from that verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Paul isn't contrasting peace with war there, he's contrasting peace with worry and anxiety. And the word that's used there is a Greek word called akatastasia. Which, which literally means disorder or unrest or anxiety. And time and time again, that's the message that Jesus brings to people. That's what he says to his disciples, to his followers. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. If we just think about the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 6 there, uh, Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. That's verse 25. Don't be anxious about clothing, verse 28. Don't be anxious about what we shall eat or drink, verse 31. That's a a very relevant uh, verse for these days as we stand in uh, queues or wait for deliveries. Uh, Don't be anxious about tomorrow, verse 34. Uh, And when the risen Jesus uh, first appears to the disciples, what are his first words? He says, peace. Be with you. It's a phrase that Jesus uttered more than any other phrase. He would have prayed for his disciples to know the truth, to know God. He would have prayed great commissioning prayers to to send them on their way to spread the gospel. But time and time again, above all else, Jesus prays that his disciples would know peace, peace that is an absence of worry. And actually, that's something that we need to hear today. There are many of us, I'm sure, that that are worried, that are concerned about ourselves, about our friends and family. We need to hear these words of Jesus who says, do not worry, as, as we wrestle with the impact and the effects of this coronavirus pandemic. Very important that we know God as a God of peace. And this morning, if you're somebody who's concerned or worried about the future, and then as a church as individual we want to pray with you we want to support you we want you to get in contact with us so that we can help you in these times but I want to pause here because yes peace is the absence or the opposite of war and yes peace is the absence or the opposite of worry but if all if that's all that we see peace as then I still don't think we've got a full answer because what we're doing there is we're just seeing peace as the absence of something. We're seeing peace as just being the opposite of anything that's kind of detrimental or hurtful to us, rather than peace being something absolute and tangible and and understandable in and of itself. So we still need to dig uh, a little bit deeper. It's important to remember this word shalom, which has these very rich meanings. So we can go a little bit deeper, I think, in understanding this true peace that Jesus wants us to have. But there's one more thing before we move on that that, that peace can be, which again, in and of itself is right, but which we can develop a little further. Because the third way that we could see peace is, is firstly, it's an absence of war. Secondly, it's an absence of worry. But thirdly, we can see peace as an absence of work. I wonder if you can think back to uh, some of the conversations that you had before lockdown. It might seem like another lifetime ago, but on a Monday morning when you were talking with friends or colleagues or family, uh, and very often the question that was asked on a Monday morning would be, How was your weekend? And what was the answer that we would very often give? You normally say, Oh, it was very peaceful. I had a peaceful weekend. That doesn't mean to say that we didn't go off to war that weekend, uh, but we were saying that that it was restful. Uh, And even in this time of lockdown and social isolation, it's actually important to rest, to pause. Um, We read in Genesis that when God created the universe, he rested. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. You see, it's interesting, that verse can often give the impression that, that, frankly, God has been resting ever since. Uh, He did this wonderful act of creation, and now he's just sitting back with his feet up, watching the world go by. And again, if you've been in conversation with people, many people might well be asking, you, us, where's God at this time? How how does God figure in this great sort of coronavirus story that's unfolding? Is God just not bothered? Is God not active? Well, the verse in Colossians, again from Paul, helps us to understand that God hasn't stopped being active. It says therefore, by him all things were created, that's creation, but in him all things hold together. God by his very nature is active holding this universe together. God is intimately involved. He's an active God. You see, one of the things that I think we are all learning, and it's great, this period that we're in, in many ways, because we can learn so much from it. We're learning that a period of inactivity doesn't always bring peace. In fact, a period of of inactivity can actually make us even more fretful, even more worried than activity itself. So there's something more to peace here. So so God is this great God of activity. He is intimately involved in our lives. He he created this entire universe. That's an enormous bit of activity. Uh, It wasn't a, a great big thing for him. He's an infinitely powerful God, but creating the universe sounds a pretty active thing to be involved in. But the point of all this was this was purposeful, planned activity. It was activity that was... Part of God's will. And so, as we start to think about what is true peace, I would suggest it's not just an absence of war, not just an absence of worry, not even an absence of work, but it's actively and purposefully working in God's will. There's there's an interesting story in Acts chapter 9 where we read there of uh, Paul. Uh, who was just Saul, but a newly converted Paul, who's who's speaking and spreading the gospel. And it says there, as he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, uh, they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers heard about this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. But but I love verse thirty-one that comes next, and it says there. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. It doesn't sound very peaceful Paul's in fear of his life he's having to be smuggled out to caesarea and to tarsus but the church and the believers it tells us are at peace it just seems so opposite doesn't it but this is the peace that the world doesn't understand you see what the church knew what the believers knew was that they were working in god's will and purpose Uh, That was a great story that that Will and and Eva were telling us there about uh, uh, however many uh, pots of sweet and sour and rice they were making. That's a lot of activity. That's a lot of sweet and sour to get through. That's frantic and busy and cooking and bringing stuff together because that's part of God's will, because that's part of God's plan and purpose for his church. I'm sure there was a great sense of peace in doing that. So peace is being involved in what God wants and wills, being involved in his plan for us. I don't know what the uh, future holds for us. We may again be unsure about what unfolds in the next few weeks and months. Uh, We don't know. Uh, Many people talk about, well, this period of lockdown will end, this period of social isolation will come to an end, but there will be a new normal. What does that new normal look like? Well, I would pray that for us, those of us that are following God, we would find a a new normal that means we're really centering ourselves on God's will. We're asking him, what does he want us to do? What does he want us to be involved in? What activity can we do? You see, the world will see peace as not being at war. Brothers and sisters, we can be in a war for the gospel. And no peace. The world sees peace as having a rest, putting your feet up, not being active. There's there's nothing wrong with resting, but we can be involved in sometimes frantic and frenetic activity for God's kingdom and be at peace. So, my prayer for us, my prayer for myself, my prayer for you is that we would find peace in the weeks and the months ahead. Let me just close with these words from Paul. To the church at Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.